welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined by my compadre friend, as always, Mark Schanowski. And today, Mark, we wrap up the first half of the Bulls season and the NBA first half of the season. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. There are some games later tonight, but uh, the, it's been interesting i guess is one one of many words to describe not only the bull season so far but the nba season so far and if i had to hazard a guess what the bulls record would have been in advance uh, of the season i don't think i would have said that they'd only be two games under 500 of which they are at 16 and 18 especially after how they started the first couple of games of the regular season so honestly i think overall it's been pretty decent for the bulls so far yeah, I think they've exceeded expectations to this point. 16 and 18 may not sound that great, but when you consider that they only won 22 games each of the last two seasons, that's a pretty good first half. And you have to take into consideration that their schedule the last time I looked was ranked the fourth easiest in the entire league. And then when they come back for the second half of the season, that's going to be one of the toughest in the NBA. So it's not going to be easy for them to maintain this pace of hovering around 500. And I know we'll talk about it later, but it was interesting that uh, Shams Tarania of The Athletic reported that they're kind of sniffing around to see if they, maybe they can improve the roster. Get another big man in here to defend the paint. They've talked about Andre Drummond. I'll tell you what, if they could convince Cleveland a one-for-one Otto Porter Jr. for Drummond swap, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll drive him to the airport if need be. <laughs> you know, you can even take my car to Cleveland and maybe have somebody else drive it home. Yeah, I mean, Otto Porter, we're going to talk. and We're going to give grades to all the players in, in a few minutes here also. We'll hear from both Billy Donovan and Arturis Karnishevis and also Wendell Carter. We're going to hear from all of them. Yeah, I saw that. I was I was. I shouldn't be surprised, but yet I was a little bit. I mean, Andre Drummond, I've always liked Andre Drummond. Against the Bulls, at least, he's a 2020 machine. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. It's um, interesting watching Drummond playing against the Bulls. That's He, he looks like Shaq. You know, he, he's put up, I think he's got like, I don't know the exact number, but he has quite a few 20 point 20 rebound games in his career but i would hazard a guess that maybe a quarter of them have come against the bulls he always seems to turn into this monster when he sees those bulls uniforms so the one thing that'd be interesting though if they brought him in wendell carter jr has had such an erratic first three seasons in the league how would he react if they brought drummond in because carter you know he's missed a lot of games because of injuries he's very self-critical you know he's, he's, he's a little bit sensitive boy i tell you what for a, for a half-season rental to maybe try to get the eight spot, I don't think if I'm Arturis, I mess with that. Well, you can look at it another way also. He might get more opportunities to play the four alongside Drummond, of which, you know, he's been begging almost to do. You know, of course, Lowry Markkinen is still going to be in the picture, but with his injury status, who knows? Um, and we'll talk about that as well. So I, I could see that going both ways. Um, yeah, he would probably be bothered by the fact that, you know, he's being uh, supplanted at the five. But again, he'd have more opportunities at the four. Yeah, but where's he going to get minutes with Mark and Thad Young? I mean, he, he's not going to play any four. Yeah, maybe not. Well, <laughs> it's we, a nice idea, but, but practically it's not going to work out. And then you'd have five centers on the roster. Although oh, they, have, they, they would be releasing Luke Cornett, even though he hit a couple of threes here this week. Nice knowing you. And uh, uh, Felicio, I mean, at some point, just release him anyway, because, you know, you know, unless you can throw him in some kind of trade possibility here, which I'm sure they'll investigate in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about that as well. 
Um, I don't know. Interesting scenarios. And at least, if nothing else, it just gave us the last minute to talk about something. Yeah, and Andre Drummond is a two-time All-Star. For his career, he's averaged, I looked up the stats, he averages 14 and a half points and almost 14 rebounds a game. He's a multiple-time rebounding champion. The Bulls have been okay as, in terms of defensive rebounding. Uh, they could improve their interior defense, no question about it, with what uh, Jokic and Bita did against them in recent weeks. They could use a guy with his bulk in the paint. He's only 6'10", but he goes 280 pounds, and, and he could muscle up against some of these other centers. So, you know, I wouldn't say that it would be a bad move. It might help you with your chances of sneaking into that 7-10 to 10 playoff play-in range. But, you know, unless they're going to take Porter even up. I mean, I'm not giving him a draft pick. Um, you know, I don't think he'd be interested in Thad Young or Sadoransky because they're also in, in early stages of a rebuild. But, you know, it, it's really just a question of what Cleveland is. They're going to probably contact a number of teams in the playoff race and try to see if they can get a draft asset back. If not... Drummond will probably hit the buyout market, and then most likely he'll go to Brooklyn or or one of the L.A. teams. Yeah, Andre Drummond's interesting, and, you know, I've, I have mixed emotions. You know, at his best, um, he could be a Bob Lanier kind of player, and that might be yeah. even a stretch. At his worst, he's literally just an anchor that slows the entire team down, and he does not fit the pattern of your modern NBA center nowadays. Quite opposite, you know, the antithesis of that because – he doesn't run the court, really. I mean, he basically just sits in the paint and he rebounds. That's what he does, whether offensively or defensively, and clogs up the middle. So, you know, it's just interesting to talk about. I'm going to bet in the long run it doesn't probably happen, but it's still interesting to talk about. Yeah, my guess is he'll be bought out and he'll wind up with the Brooklyn Nets. And it'll set up uh, that Brooklyn Nets-Lakers finals, which I think a lot of people are are anticipating with all that star power. I know the league and Adam Silver – would love to have that matchup because you'd have two huge markets, all kinds of star power, and you know that would be something that'd be would be a lot of fun to watch when to see that many superstars on the court. And LeBron and, and AD would really have to work to get back-to-back titles. Well, you know it's interesting, Mark. We're only talking about trade possibilities because even though they're 16 and 18, two games under 500 at the moment in 10th place, they're actually tied for 10th place in the East, which is a technically a playoff spot as of right now but they're a game and a half out of fourth place. So right. that's why the Bulls and, and can actually dream a little bit about uh, a potential playoff possibility here. Yeah, and I think uh, Arturis is going to look at it in both directions. Is it, if he has an opportunity to sell off a player like that young and get a pick that he considers maybe will be in the teens or low 20s, yeah, he might go after that. But you know, if you make a trade with a team like the Lakers or the Nets, well, the Nets don't have any picks because of the Harden trade. You know, you're not you're not going to get a, a great draft pick in return. And because of the fact that Thad Young has brought so much to this team and really has stabilized their entire offense, I don't think I would trade him unless you're going to get a decent first round draft pick back. I'm, I'm not giving him away just for the fact that you're you're thinking, well, we have another asset. If it's not something decent, I think Thad Young has had a lot to do with the Bulls' success to this point. I think he's helped the young guys. He certainly has helped their offense run a lot more smoothly. Um, I would hang out to him unless you get a really good package back. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. And again, they're a game and a half out of fourth place, Mark. I, I mean, I think the experience of being a postseason team, for um, especially for Zach Levine and so many other young players on this roster, is invaluable. And I think Karnishevis knows that. Uh, and, and I think Billy Donovan will get into his ears and tell him, I think that this is a good thing for these young players 
to go for a playoff possibility. So honestly, I, you know, I could see maybe Sadoransky. That's a possibility of him being traded. Beyond that, uh, I really don't see anybody else at this point. I mean, they'd love to get rid of some of those salaries, like you said, Otto Porter Jr. and Cristiano Felicio. But I, I just don't really see much happening other than maybe Sadoransky maybe being moved. Well, one of the things we have to watch for as we start the second half of the season, the Bulls open with a five-game homestand, but some brutally tough teams coming in. You've got Miami and Philadelphia and Toronto. Those are going to be tough games to win. And think it out of the gates in the second half. Let's say they, they drop four out of five at home. That may change the entire complexion about what AK wants to do at the deadline. And because he was brought in, uh, in his introductory press conference, he, he said that the, Michael Reinstorf told him that he wanted to change the way things are going to the organization. He's got a clean slate to do whatever he wants with that roster. And if he sees in the first couple of weeks coming out of the All-Star break that, you know, the Bulls are getting overmatched by some of these teams, he may start selling off some of these guys. I mean, you mentioned the fact they're a game and a half out of fourth. But if you look at who's tied for fifth, sixth, and seventh, that's Boston, Miami, and Toronto. And those teams really had disappointing first halves. I think all three will improve in the second half. I think we'll see a regression to the mean. We'll see some of these teams that were expected to be good at the start of the season really turning it up a couple notches in the second half. And I think the seven top seven teams will be pretty much decided. Then you're going to look at the Knicks, Charlotte, the Bulls competing for those play-in positions. As always, you're right, and always making good points. I guess the best way to say uh, is that it's a fluid situation, and we'll just have to uh, see how the next two weeks unfold, specifically those first five games, like you said, right after the All-Star break. All right, let's hear from Billy Donovan, because Billy Donovan, you know, and and I didn't give him a grade. I got all these grades next to the players' names. We'll talk about those. I'm going to give him an A-plus. I think he's been fantastic. We'll talk about him in just a second here. But here, basically, he sums up the first half to date. It is a great group of guys. Um, you know, I know a lot of times people always say has get a chance to watch these guys in between the lines, but they don't get a chance to maybe to interact with them quite a bit. Um, it is a great group of guys. Um, I really am grateful for the fact that I think I've pushed them very hard. I've challenged them, I think, pretty hard. I think they've always tried to take on the challenge and they've always tried to put their best foot forward. But the group, I couldn't ask anything more of in terms of the way they're working, the way they're trying, the way they're trying to pull together, the way they're trying to sacrifice and work. Uh, but there's just, I've always said this, you know, in order to win, there's a lot of pain that comes in before that. And, you know, we've had some really, really difficult and challenging losses, you know, going back to, you know, the Golden State game at home, the Portland game at home, Oklahoma City on the road. Uh, we had some opportunities in L.A. against both teams. Um, you know, we certainly had our chances against Phoenix and then, you know, against Denver. I'm not saying we should have won those games, but we're there, you know, and these guys have worked hard. But hopefully we can learn and gain some more experiences. But I really have enjoyed the group. I'm very appreciative of the group. And I just hope that, you know, as a staff, we can help these guys continue to evolve and get better as players. And again, Mark, I just think Billy Donovan has been worth his weight in gold. And I think he's going to become even more and more valuable as time goes on with this franchise. I think he's at the perfect tone with this young team. His temperament has been fantastic. You know, he's gotten frustrated at times. The cameras caught him after that second foul of a three-point shooter late, just looking like, where, you know, what in the world is going on? How can these guys be so stupid? But he didn't start yelling. He didn't pull, yank somebody out of the game. He knows this is still a young team that's going to have some growing pains. And afterwards, you know, he wasn't celebrating a road win in New Orleans and a chance to go into the All-Star break with a decent record. 
He was talking about the games that they gave away earlier in the season and the fact that they have to learn how to close games. Obviously, it's a young group, and you know I think that the backcourt of Levine and Kobe White is always going to be a little bit turnover prone because they're both guys that look to score more than distribute. You know, neither one of them has great assist to turnover ratios, and I don't think you can really count on either one of them to make the best decisions with the ball late in close games. That's where the growth has to come. That's why we've heard a lot of rumors about the Bulls potentially adding a veteran, you know, in free agency of the trade market. And I wouldn't be surprised if our tourist does that before next season. But for now, Billy Donovan understands, you know, he's got some weaknesses up front with both Carter and Markin and out for long stretches during the first half. I think he's done a remarkable job for them to be 16 and 18 with the problems they've had with injuries and some absences because of COVID. You know, I, I think Billy is, is, has been spectacular as that coach. You know, one of the themes this week, uh, and we heard from our tourist Karnishevis uh, right before that Denver game, and I'm sure he wanted to win that game badly. And unfortunately, they ran into one of the two or three top MVP candidates in, in Jokic. I mean, he was just fantastic that game and has been all season. But I think um, Billy Donovan will have a major effect on what our tourist Karnishevis does um, not only at the trading deadline, but going forward. And, and they they continue to talk about their partnership, which is oh so strong. And, and uh, you know, and that's a great thing. You know, when you, you have to have a coach and a general manager kind be on the same wavelength. And yes, they'll disagree periodically, but it, it just seems to be such a good relationship at this point, Mark. And, and I think that will continue, like I said, going forward. Well, just look this past week, the fact they lost close games at home to the Phoenix Suns, who are one of the hottest teams in the NBA, and then the Denver Nuggets, who really won on the strength of a Herculean performance by Nikola Jokic. But, you know, Denver, the following night, went to Milwaukee, the second leg of a back-to-back, and they beat the Bucks by 25 points. So the Bulls are hanging in there with these good teams. You remember back on their Western trip where they really could have beaten both the Lakers and the Clippers at Staples Center, came very close in those games. They could be three or four games over 500. Now, I know every NBA team can go back over the schedule and say, well, we could have won five more games. And that's that's what losers do. But when you look at the growth of this team and the fact that they played two of the, of the top teams in the West in Phoenix and Denver, had leads in the fourth quarter, could have, perhaps should have won both games. I think it's it's been an amazing sign of growth with this team. I think in mo- most nights, you know that no matter who the opposition is, they're not going to get blown out. They're going to find a way to hang in there. And a lot of credit for that goes to Billy Donovan and his staff. All right, let's hear one more from uh, Billy Donovan. He was asked about trade possibilities, the trade deadline coming up a little bit later this month. He says, really, those talks have not happened, at least not yet. You know, I'm not talking to Arturis every day about every phone call he has. We're talking a lot about our team and practice games, but I trust him in terms of, you know, his basketball acumen and, and him being, you know, as heavily involved for his career in, in this aspect of the job. And um, I know that, you know, he and I will put our heads together, you know, when the time is right for that. But right now, the time's just been our team. And I, to your point, I really like these guys. But they will happen, Mark. I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and you know what? Uh, Billy Donovan has been very honest. And he basically said that he didn't think that it was going to happen, you know, too far, you know, uh, you know, down the road. Something tells me that he and Karnishevis have at least had some exploratory talks already. Well, what's been really interesting is that they both acknowledge the fact that there aren't going to be many sellers out there. So if they decide to go into sellers mode, 
They've got some pieces that could be attractive to teams, specifically Thad Young and Tomas Sadaransky, who I think would be very good coming off the bench for a contending team because they're experienced, they're versatile, and, and they're not going to crack under playoff pressure. So if they decide to go into cell mode, they're going to have some pieces that some contending teams I think will be very interested in. I also like the fact that in, what, in the comment we just heard from Billy Donovan, he lets you in a little bit more than some pass bowls coaches. You know, I mean, we got nothing from Boylan or, or Fred Hoiberg or even Tibbs. Tibbs would never say anything. Part of it was because he wasn't talking to the front office. You know, they had a bad relationship at the end. But Billy did kind of suggest, yeah, we'll talk about it. I'll give him some input on, on, on what I think of the roster and, and what guys maybe we could live without going forward. And, and I think that discussion will lead to some action before March 25th. I don't think the Bulls will sit, sit out the deadline and do nothing. They may add, they may subtract, but I'll, I'll be surprised if it's the exact same roster after March 25th. Yeah, I can remember so many times John Paxson telling us at the trading deadline, you know, we would hang around until the last minute and, you know, he would come like an hour beforehand and go, and he would say, you know what, guys, go home. No need for you to hang around. Nobody likes star players around the league. <laughs> that was about as honest as I've ever heard anybody ever say anything. Nobody likes our players around the league. You <laughs> home. That was really comical. Let's hear from Arturis Karnishevis right now. And he echoes what you said earlier, Mark, that maybe the trade market won't be as busy as maybe some people hope. I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, expanding uh, playoffs to 10 teams and then uh, two or three are still delusional and think that they can make it to 10. I think that kind of makes it very interesting uh, trade deadline. But, uh, you know, Billy and I, we spend more time talking about how we can improve this group and focus now on this group that we have uh, that actually is playing well and uh, had a first, you know, month winning, you know, in February and, uh, you know, last couple of games, uh, they had some slipping, but I think overall this group is is doing so much better and uh, looking forward to see uh, next 40 games. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, Mark, I mean, if he wants to, if there's not that many teams that are going to become sellers, you know, maybe maybe that, you know, gives him a leg up if he wants to become a seller. And the one thing that we don't know is what the relationship is like between the front office and Lowry Markin and then his camp. You know, they didn't come close to getting an extension on that rookie deal back before the start of the season. And it's been reported by a couple of the beat writers that they were like $4 million apart on the first year of a multi-year deal. That's a pretty big uh, gap to try to bridge. Yeah. And when this season is over, they're going to look at Lowry against, uh, and his agent and say, well, again, you missed almost half the season because of injuries. And, you know, how can we give you close to max dollars when you're not on the court? You know, we can't pay you that kind of salary when you're only playing – a portion of the season. I could see this being a situation where because so many teams were hoarding cap space with the idea that star players like uh, Giannis and Paul George might be available in free agency this year uh, and, and have money to spend, some team may decide to extend a, a kind of a ridiculous offer sheet to Lowry and the Bulls just might have to say, all right, you know, we're going to let him walk. Well, maybe Wendell Carter will get those minutes at the four at some point down the road. <laughs> maybe. Uh, let's hear from uh, one more from Arturis. Uh, you know, we mentioned that Billy Donovan is pretty honest with his thoughts. Arturis Karnishevis, I mean, he must have taken uh, the 101 uh, uh, class about not to say anything and to be very tight-lipped. 
And it's an obvious question, you know, to him, this following one. Well, what about Zach Levine? Is he outplayed his contract? And what about a potential contract extension or some new deal in the offseason? He didn't bite. Here he is. I mean, he's de- deserving right now his accolades and, um, you know, and made an all-star game. And we're really proud of him. Um, uh, you know, we constantly in games. Um you know, because of his play. So he's been establishing himself as a, you know, leader of this team. And, you know, we've, you know, improved dramatically because he's impacting winning, you know. So that's why I think is for the, you know, besides his uh, numbers of 29, 5 and 5, which are amazing, uh, he's also impacting winning. And that's why this team is, you know, fighting for a playoff spot. He avoided that question, Mark, like the play. <laughs> well, you know, when you're in charge of an organization like the Bulls, you cannot speculate on dollars. You know, Zach and his camp are going to be looking for a max deal. He's coming off a career season, his first all-star appearance, possibly leading this team to the playoffs. He's going to want a max contract. So I don't think they're going to be able to come to terms on an extension this summer, which means, you know, he's going to head into his final year last next year. And then he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And then all bets are off. You know, if, if they want Zach Levine long-term, and he certainly has shown why he should be a part of this team going forward, they're going to have to give him a max contract. And I couldn't tell you at this point whether our tourist feels Zach Levine is a max player, but you're only worth what the market says you are. And I think the market's going to tell the Bulls that Zach Levine is a max player. Yeah. I think right now, what do they say, Mark? And I think we talked about this last week also, that – Right now, the max they can offer him, and I don't understand uh, some of this. Maybe you you can help me with this. Four years at a hundred and oh my gosh, what was it? A hundred and two million. I think it was about a hundred and forty million. I think it was like yeah, or maybe maybe a little bit lower, but it was something like uh, thirty million a year. He get which he'd get yeah. more if he waited. If he waited for unrestricted free agency. He could get, you know, a contract starting at at like thirty seven million. So, okay. you know, it's yeah, the money gets so crazy that you wonder, you know, what what are we even talking about when you talk about dollars that high? But these players are fiercely competitive, not only on the court but in the marketplace, and they don't ever want to settle for a dollar less than a guy that they feel they feel is their peer that they might be a better player than. And they look at the contracts that Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul and James Harden are getting. And when Zach Levine and his agent do sit down and talk to the Bulls, those are the kind of numbers they're going to be talking about, not not something that would be you know characterized as a hometown discount. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, that's still a little bit down the road. Um, I want to do this now. Uh, we've got one more soundbite we're going to hear from Wendell Carter Jr. in just a second. But I want, since we're at the halfway point, and, and I never got good grades in school. I'll be honest with you. I mean, so I dreaded getting grades, you know, my report card and having my mother or father sign it. Oh, my God, that was scary. But we're going to give grades now to the players. Um, and we're going to start with Wendell Carter Jr. from the first half. And I give him a B minus, Mark. And, and the reason I give him even that um, is because I think when he, he gives you what he can give you, you know, he's limited in what he can do when he goes up against the bigger centers, whether it's the Embiid's or the Jokic's or, or guys like that, you know, he just is not able to, you know, stop them certainly defensively. Um, but I think he gives you what he can give you certainly against the rest of the league. 
So I give him a B minus overall. He's unfortunately he had a lot of injuries this season, but you know, he, he's a, he's a steady presence in the locker room. I know that for fact. And I think he's a fairly steady influence on the, on the court as well. Well, you're a generous grader considering how many games he's missed, not only this year, but his first two years in the league, I would go more like C minus, you know, I, I don't uh, discount his effort. I don't discount the fact that he's committed to the organization and he's a good locker room guy, but he can't stay on the court. You know, he chafed at the uh, term injury prone, but he is injury prone. And when he's matched up against big centers, we've seen what guys like Embiid and Jokic have done against him. Heck, uh, Nikola Vucevic scored uh, 43 against him. So, you know, it's not all his fault. He's given away size. He's given away pounds playing the center position. But with given the composition of the Bulls roster, that's what he has to play. And we've seen a lot of games where he picks up a couple of early fouls and has to go to the bench. And I, we still see that reluctance to shoot. I've noticed it more in, in recent games where he'll catch the ball at the elbow. And again, he doesn't look at the rim and there's nobody guarding him. So there's there's a lot of improvement he needs to make. He needs to stay on the court. So I, I'm going C minus. Okay, well, maybe it's because so many teachers I felt were mean to me. Oh, okay. maybe, All right. maybe I maybe just deep down I feel like I need to be nice to the people who I'm giving grades to. Um, but you might be right, obviously. Let's hear from Wendell Carter Jr., though, because he says, unfortunately, the injuries that he's had in his first three seasons has definitely, you know, dented his career. All these injuries have kind of made it hard. And like, you know, every injury I've had, those those like three or four games before the injury. Now, I was on an upward trend. You know, I was going in the right direction, and then the injury happens. And, you know, it takes you some time to get back in shape, get back in game shape, get back in the floor of things, get back, get your timing back right. And uh, so it's tough. I mean, in my opinion, it's tough. But at the same time, I know this is a job, and I have to, you know, get that timing and get that endurance back as quick as possible. Yeah, there, I don't think there's any question that, unfortunately, his injuries, although, you know, even if he was 100% healthy, he'd still have problems against those bigger centers. And I knew that, like, 10 minutes into his first game, you know, in the exhibition season, he just isn't big enough against some of those bigger centers. Yeah, and I think Wendell Carter Jr. might be the player that's going to improve at it with his second team. You know, maybe he came in here as the seventh overall pick, put a lot of undue pressure on himself, had a series of unfortunate injuries, and just never really got into a groove with the Bulls, never really developed that feel and confidence on the offensive end. Maybe he goes to a new organization where he's used a little bit differently. They give him more touches in the low post, and he becomes, you know, an okay offensive player. Um, I don't think he's going to be part of the long-term build-out here in Chicago. I think that they'd be more likely – to try to invest in Lowry marketing and maybe use Wendell in a trade either this summer or maybe at next year's trade deadline. Well, then they're going to have to figure out who's going to be playing the five going forward because marketing is not going to play the five and, and certainly no. the rest of the, the, the bodies on that roster who are technically fives, they're not going to be here either. And even if they pick up Andre Drummond, it's only for like, you know, two or three months. So they'll be looking maybe they for can, maybe, maybe they can draft Io DeSumo. Can he play the five? He is the five in Illinois, sure. Wait, are you talking about? I'm I'm talking about the wrong guy. I thought of one guy and said the other, so I apologize for that. No, I'm thinking about the big guy in the middle. You know what? I need to see a lot more of him, you know, um, because he's not very mobile either. Um, Although he can shoot free throws. I'll give him that. Um, I I don't know. Kofi Coburn. I'm sorry, yeah, I, we, I had a senior moment, so I, I came yeah, up. That's okay. I was thinking Kofi Coburn. 
I think Iowa is going to be interesting too in terms of where he falls because you know we look at mock drafts all the time, and for some reason draft analysts don't seem to like Iowa very much. I've seen him in the second round in, in some mocks, and you know you think about the fact he's been gaining some momentum, or he was until he had the unfortunate concussion that he was being talked about as a player of the year candidate. Of course, he's a Chicago native, Chicago high school star. And, you know, I, I think when you look at the draft pool, how he could go beyond the, the late teens would be a shocker to me. I mean, the, the kid is 6'5". He doesn't have a great three-point shot, which is no, not a criticism. But he can get to the rim. You know, he, he's a guy that I think at 6'5", at can really cause problems for defenses. But, yeah, I meant Kofi Coburn. I think that, that he could be a decent NBA five. Um, and, and I think that, that he showed in this last game against Michigan, he just destroyed their, their freshman guy, Hunter Dickinson, and, and Illinois just routed Michigan. Well, yeah, there's no question. You know, at his optimum, he is Bob Lanier. I mean, he's got that body. He's already 285 pounds. He might actually have to lose some weight when he finally gets into the pros. But, you know, we'll talk more about the collegiate players who will have an effect on the NBA a little bit further down the road. But for right now, let's go back to our grades. Um, next up is Kobe White. I'll let you lead off, Mark. Yeah, he's an interesting story. You know, he's really been lighting it up offensively. I was looking at his numbers. For the last five games, he scored over 20 points, and the one he didn't have over 20, he had 19. So offensively, he has proven over his year and a half in the NBA that he is a light em up scorer, you know, in the mold of a Jamal Crawford or a Lou Williams, a guy that can just get hot and, and give you 11 points in a couple of minutes. But he needs to grow as a point guard. And I think that Billy Donovan and probably Arturis have concluded after seeing him for this half a season that he's not the kind of guy who's going to be your traditional NBA point guard. So grade wise, I'd give him, I'd give him a B. I, I think that the fact that he can score uh, brings real value to the team, but he has a, a lot of growth in terms of being that traditional point guard. And who knows, even though he just turned 21, I believe last week, um, he may never develop into an NBA point guard. He may find, he may find his eventual success in the NBA as a scoring two guard. Yeah, I think that's exactly what his future holds for him. Um, myself and Bill Wennington, we came to the conclusion midway through last season, he's not going to be a point guard long term in the NBA. Yes, I know. And we've talked about this numerous times. You know, point guards, they're not the traditional the way, you know, I'd like it to be from the past. But I just think you have to have somebody who can't, who will not turn the ball over as much as he does, who will get other people involved. And I just think he's much more of an asset coming off the bench and lighting up, you know, the other team second unit and is still available at the end of the game. He can still play 30 minutes, even coming off the bench, Mark, and score you 20 plus points a game in the sixth man role. And the Bulls have had, you know, some great ones. Uh, ben Gordon was one of those in the past. Jamal Crawford, the same thing. We've talked about all the guys, Lou Williams. Uh, um, you know, there's so many, Vinnie Johnson. There's so many guys who can come off the bench and, and make a difference. And I think Kobe White, ultimately, that's what his role is. I give him a B minus. I think he's tried really, really hard. The minus is only because I don't think he's a point guard. Otherwise, I think he's he's been pretty decent overall. That's fair. We're close right. on that one. All right, let's move on. Uh, Zach Levine, I'm just going to say it, A+. plus. First yep. time All-Star. There's nothing that this guy, I mean, you know, if anything, if he could just Cut down on those turnovers and quit following those guys on the three-point shots, my lord. <laughs> but short, short of those, you know, minor things, uh, 
I mean, he's just been fantastic. I give him an A plus. Yeah, I'll give him an A. Uh, you know, you'd like to see better decision making late in close games. Cut down on the turnovers. He's averaging close to four a game. Uh, but that's nitpicking. You know, he's got career numbers everywhere else. He deserved that spot on the All Star team. Yes, I give him an A for the first half. All right, I'll go with Patrick Williams next. And the reason, you know, you might think I'm being a little mean here because, you know, I think you know, it's unfortunate he didn't get named, even though they're not having these uh, uh, rising what are they? stars. Rising star game. You know, he should have been. He should have been named. I mean, we're going to talk about Rookie of the Year candidates in a little bit here, also. Um, he, he should have been named to that, but I'm giving him a C plus. And the reason I'm sort of downgrading him a little bit, Mark, is because, and he knows this, he needs to be more aggressive. Now, he was in his last game against New Orleans, but the game before that, I think he only took three or four shots overall. He needs to be more aggressive. He's got the talent to do it. He's got the body to do it. Um, I think the vets will uh, it further instill the confidence that he needs to be more aggressive you know, and he's got some learning to do. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. He talks about that all the time. I think C plus is actually a pretty decent grade, but with room for improvement. Yeah, I'll I'll give him a B. I I, I always think I was a little more impressed than you were. You know, I think that starting in the NBA, he was the youngest born American player drafted and being put right into the starting lineup. That's a lot to ask of a guy who didn't start for his college team at Florida State. And I think that. You know, his reluctance to shoot the ball has been the one thing that really stands out as a, as a criticism. He's got a nice soft touch from the outside, and I think he's actually better shooting when he takes a couple of dribbles rather than being a catch-and-shoot guy. I think we've seen him a couple of times catch the ball on the perimeter, take a couple of quick dribbles, shoot a 15-footer. He looks very fluid doing that as opposed to at the three-point line where he kind of has to load up and almost shoot a set shot from beyond the arc. But, you know, defensively, he's he's been exposed at times trying to guard some of the tougher players in the league. But, you know, no one said it's easy to guard Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James and Giannis. So he's done the best he can at 19. He's got a a ton of room for growth. I think two years from now, you know, we're going to be talking about a completely different player. But Mm -hmm. the fact that he's so young and so raw, I think he's done a good job handling that starting responsibility. So I'll give him a B. Okay, we're pretty much on the same wavelength. The last person from technically the starting unit is Lowry Markinen, even though he hasn't played all that much, unfortunately, due to injury. And I hate to say this, I'm going to give him an eye for incomplete because he just hasn't been. Now, when he has played, for the most part, I'd probably give him a B. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's had some good scoring games. He's actually tried to do more by going inside, you know, when he's when he's hot from the outside and then he, then, you know, and he can combine that with his inside potential. Then he's a hell of a asset for this franchise, but he's got to stay healthy. And because he's been so injured, I just have to give him an incomplete. Yeah. You're thinking the same along the same lines as me. I think that's the only way you can go with Lowry. His whole career has been an incomplete, you know, we saw him play very well for that one stretch uh, in February of his second season where he averaged 25 and 12. We thought, wow, this guy looks like a future all-star, but he just cannot stay on the court. And I thought it was really interesting that Arturis went out of his way in his media availability earlier this week to really single out Lowry and say, hey, when he was out on the court, he was averaging 19 points a game, shooting 50% from the field, 40% from the three-point line. And I thought that Arturis's comments about Lowry were more revealing than almost anything he said during that 15-minute media availability. I mean, he really complimented him and the player that he thinks he can become and kind of led me to believe that, yeah, that's a guy they would like to keep as part of the core. But I think finances will ultimately tell the story. So, yeah, I agree. I think he's been good when he's on the court, but because he can't stay healthy, we'll go incomplete. 
Yeah, you know, I was perplexed by by our tourists during that press conference, Mark, because he was very praiseworthy of Lowry Markkinen, yet he didn't want to give him that contract extension before the season. And yet he really didn't want to say too much about Zach Levine. And he knows that that contract extension is going to be the most talked about thing at the end of the season. So, you know, he's he's an interesting guy, this Karnishevis, you know, and, and unfortunately we haven't been in his presence because of the whole COVID thing. I haven't figured him out completely. Not yet. No, and because, you know, reporters are doing everything with Zoom calls that you aren't able to build those personal relationships. And you and I both got to know John Paxson very well. And I remember Pax saying this repeatedly that, you know, this whole process of the rookie extension, he always felt like if we're going to give you long-term security, we want a little bit back in terms of taking less money. That obviously, that philosophy probably goes upstairs to Michael and Jerry Reinsdorf, that they, they all feel the same way that if, if they're going to give you the extension of your rookie deal, give you that security early, they want you to take a little less money. And that that's led to problems. You know, we remember the, the famous Jimmy Butler thing where they were really close and couldn't get it done and it wound up costing them an extra $50 million. So um, I think it's an organizational philosophy. And I think Arturis, although he has freedom to make some decisions, ultimately he has to answer to the Reinsdorf's when it comes to the total payroll. All right, I just want, I'm not going to go down the whole roster. We're just going to pick a couple of players off the bench and give them some grades. We'll start with Thad Young. I give him a solid A. I mean, he's been everything that you would hope that he was not last year. I mean, we, we saw Thad Young as an opposing player previous, and, you know, we knew that he was a good player and all the other teams that he played for. But last year, I don't know, whether it was Jim Boylan or I don't know what, I mean, he just did not perform the way – he certainly has performed this year. He's been fantastic. He's along with Zach Levine, the MVP of this uh, of this team. Yeah, I give Thad Young an A plus. You know, we've watched him play in other locations, and he looked more like a you know you're a solid low post scorer, a decent defender, decent defensive rebounder. But not to be honest, I watched him play in other cities, and I, you know I thought he was a good player, but nothing special. And then when the Bulls signed him, I I, I totally understood they wanted to bring in a veteran, a good locker room guy you know, a player who's looked at as a, as a pro's pro made perfect sense to me. And then Jim Boylan used him so poorly that, that he was totally ineffective last year. And to see what he's been able to do in this Billy Donovan offense, heck, I, I've never seen Thad Young pass the ball so effectively as he has this first half of the season. So yeah, I, I give him an A plus, like you said, it, he and Zach have been the two most uh, consistently outstanding players in the first half. All right. Just two more players. Uh, Garrett Temple. I'll let you lead off. Yeah, I think he's been better than I expected. You know, I thought he was kind of at the end of the line. And I, and I again, understood that they don't want a roster composed of so many young players. They want to bring in a pro's pro. A lot of people are saying that Garrett Temple probably has a future as a coach or a front office executive. And he's universally liked around the league. Very well-spoken guy. I think he's been a really solid player. I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him a B. I think he's done exactly what he's asked. And with the injuries to some of the front court players, Otto Porter Jr., missing most of the first half of the season, he, he was thrust into the starting lineup. And, and I think he did a pretty nice job when he's given up size and a lot of those defensive matchups. All right. I'm going to give him a B minus. I would have said a B if he, uh, if maybe if Markkinen hadn't gotten injured, unfortunately Temple has had to fill in uh, in Markkinen's absence. And, you know, some guys are just made not to be starters. Some guys are made to come off the bench. And I think Garrett Temple is one of those kind of guys. I just think he becomes, you know, unfortunately a mismatch uh, in, in a detrimental way when he's in the starting lineup. 
uh, especially, you know, he's got to go against bigger guys. So, you know, he's a really good player. He's better than I thought also, Mark. I just thought that was like, what are you giving this guy money for? Isn't there anybody better than that? You know, he's been better than I thought, like I said, but he's a bench player. Um, and I think if Markkinen is able to come back in the second half, I think obviously Temple will go back to his role and, uh, you know, he'll, unless they decide to trade him and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so I give him a B minus overall. All right. The last player, and I'm doing this just cause I feel like I want to rag him a little bit is Otto Porter Jr. <laughs> that would be an F for me. I mean, he's totally failed. He's just not available, you know, and. I never like to speculate on injuries because I think it's unfair. And no, I don't know what's going on with Otto Porter Jr. You know, they called it back spasms originally. And, and I, I, you know, you would think that a guy in the last year of his contract would be doing everything he can to try to get out there, be there with his teammates, put up some decent numbers and try to lead to be more marketable for your next contract. Granted, he doesn't need the money. You know, he signed for a, about a hundred million dollars on that offer sheet that he got from Brooklyn that uh, the wizards matched, but you know, he's 27 years old, which is amazing. You know, when you consider that he should be in the prime of his NBA career. And it, it honestly, as an outsider, it just seems like he, he he's lost his interest in basketball. He doesn't even want to play. You know, last year he had, what was it kind of thought that he'd be back rather quickly and he basically missed the rest of the season or however long it was. This year, out of nowhere, you know, this latest injury came up with his back, and we haven't, you know, seen hide or hair of him ever since. I can't figure it out. And we've talked about this previous. I have a um, a cohort in Washington who said, you know, you're, you're, their Bulls are going to regret trading for him. He's not going to play, you know, half the time. And, and you know, he was – he was under-exaggerating. I don't think he's played a quarter of the time so far. I mean, he's been just a major disappointment. I don't want to say I hope his injuries are real because that's that sounds sort of right. That sounds sort of mean. But I mean, this guy is injured all the time. And we talk about Wendell Carter Jr. being uh, injury prone. If he's injury prone, what is Otto Porter Jr.? I mean, it's a, it's sort of a joke. You know what's scary though is because I mentioned there's so many teams that have cap space next year. You watch. Otto Porter Jr. is probably going to get the full mid-level, which is around $9 million next year. And, and whoever signs him is instantly going to regret it. It's like watching what Jabar, how Jabari Parker – we talked about him last week – but how he's bounced around the league since he left Chicago. You would think that executives would see what happened in Milwaukee and what happened in Chicago and go, we're not going to touch that guy with a 10-foot pole. It's the same thing with Otto Porter Jr. You know, what's the old P.T. Barnum line? Suckers are born every minute. That, that goes for professional sports franchises, too. I guarantee you some team will overpay for Otto Porter next year and will probably be very sad that they did. Well, Brooklyn's got to be really happy that Washington matched that offer sheet because otherwise they would have been saddled with him. And, uh, and unfortunately, he's been passed, passed around to the Bulls. And, you know, I thought it was a good trade initially, but in retrospect, eh, because the guy just has not been on the court at all. Yeah, and we talked about this in the past. You know, they wanted to get Jabari's contract off the books. They didn't want to give Bobby Portis the money he and his agent were looking for. So it was really a question of two players you didn't want for one guy Washington didn't want. And it, you know, a couple of years later, they're all in different places. So, you know, it, it didn't work out for either side. 
Right. All right. Before we go to our walk down memory lane segment, um, again, we're at the halfway point of the season. Your picks on MVP and rookie of the year. The MVP is really interesting. There's there's been some guys who have really, really been very important to their teams. Well, I think about two weeks ago, I would have said LeBron James because he was playing every game. He was putting up great numbers. The Lakers had the best record in the league and they were cruising. They looked like a team that was you know, going to just a boat race to a second straight championship. Everything was going well. But then Anthony Davis got hurt, and LeBron has not been able to carry that team all by himself. They also lost their point guard, Dennis Schroeder, for a short time, although Schroeder is back. You know, LeBron is a marvel of nature. The fact that he's that athletic at 36 and still does the things he do he does playing heavy minutes. He sat out his first game of the season uh, last night to close out the first half schedule for the Lakers. I would say just based on what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a surge by the Philadelphia 76ers. I think I would go Joel Embiid in a very, very tight vote. You could make an argument for Embiid. If Denver moves up in the Western Conference standings, you could certainly make an argument for Nikola Jokic, who's putting up fantastic numbers. Kevin Durant was talked about, but he's missed too many games at this point. James Harden has that horrible start with Houston where he basically quit on his team. So to me, I think it's going to come down to Embiid, Jokic, and LeBron. And I think that the the voters, LeBron has really campaigned for another MVP because he wants to catch Michael in that category. I have a feeling that the voters are going to give LeBron his wish. You know, we'll see what happens in the second half. But you asked me who my vote would be. It'd be Joel Embiid. Mine as well. Um, I, you know, I think I said that even a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to further say it now. And he had a quote, I'm going to probably paraphrase it a little bit um, after last night's game or the game before, where he said, I'm out to destroy all my competition this season. Those are the words you want to hear from an MVP. Those, that's something that Michael would have said repeatedly. I'm out to destroy the competition all year long. And he has. I mean, he's he's averaging 30 points and 11 rebounds so far. There's been, you know, LeBron has been great. Jokic has been great. Jokic is almost averaging a triple-double, 27-10-8. Wow. I mean, he was fantastic against the Bulls. Steph Curry is always, you know, in the conversation. He's averaging 30 points a game. And, I, you know, I, I'm going to give Harden a little bit more credit maybe than um, than some other people He's been the best player on Brooklyn, and Brooklyn is right now battling Philadelphia for the top spot in the East. So, you know, if he keeps that up in the second half, he's going to be in the conversation again also, Mark. But for my money right now, it's Joel Embiid. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on that. And as I mentioned earlier, I cannot get out of my mind the way James Harden talked his way out of Houston and quit on his teammates. That's not an MVP. No, it probably – well, it's – it's. I mean – yeah, I mean, the MVP, <laughs> MVP on the court, certainly not MVP in the in the locker room. Right, no right. About that. All right, Rookie of the Year. This is another interesting one. Um, I think you said in advance of the season that LaMelo Ball would probably win it, and I think right now he's probably the leading candidate. He's putting up fantastic numbers since he moved into the starting lineup. Uh, I think I saw recently this week he was averaging like 20 points and eight assists and really making some big baskets down the stretch. Charlotte's been able to, st- to hang tough in this Eastern Conference playoff picture. Yeah, LaMelo Ball, I think, is pretty much uh, distanced himself from the rest of the field. He's been very impressive. And I said going into the draft that he he should be the number one pick. Charlotte was very lucky to get him at number three. I'm just, I just wondering, I'd love to get our tourists, you know, over a beer and say, 
would you have taken uh, Lamelo Ball if you had the third pick? You know, I bet he would have. Yeah. I bet he would have. I still like Tyrese uh, Halliburton, but you know, unfortunately he's got a little bit of an injury bug and he's coming off the bench right now. You know, Anthony Edwards has had his moments and James Wiseman, when he hasn't been injured, he's had his ups and downs. Um, but I just think LaMelo Ball right now is the one who's shining the most. Right, right. All right, it's time now for our walk down memory lane segment um, from all our years covering the Bulls and the NBA. I'll let you lead off, Mark. Well, since it's All-Star Weekend coming up, I thought I'd tell a story about covering an All-Star game. I don't know how many games you've been to, David. Um, for whatever reason, in the in the television landscape, that was not an event that they wanted to invest big dollars in. So I think I've only been to three or four over the course of my career. But the one I went to that I convinced management we should go to was the 2010 game in Dallas. They played that in, in, in Jerry Jones, uh, what is it called now, AT&T Stadium? But, you know, that was the house that Jerry Jones built, a big monstrosity football stadium. They were going to have the All-Star game there. And 2010 was really significant. The reason I got management to okay for me to go was that was the big free agent year where LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and Amari Stoudemire and Joe Johnson, all these guys are going to be free agents. And all of them were in Dallas for the All-Star game. And I remember the media availability. So many of the questions were about free agency. And as you know, in those kind of mass interview settings, it's hard to get anybody to really give you honest answers about what they're looking at. But that that particular weekend, guys were pretty open about what they what they're not telling you what their plans are going to be, but they were willing to discuss free agency. And I thought it was fascinating to see what the perception of Derrick Rose and the Bulls was around the league. And I left Dallas thinking, hey, the Bulls really could have a chance to strike big in free agency. Remember. That was Derek's first All-Star game, and I think he was the first Bulls All-Star since the championship era. Um, Derek was very shy, as always. He didn't say a whole lot, but you could tell how proud he was to be amongst the greatest players in the league. And I remember asking, Joe Johnson was the guy who was speculated as maybe coming to the Bulls. And I talked to Joe Johnson after the game, and he seemed pretty interested. I, I know there were a lot of different combinations being thrown around, and Joe Johnson was one of the guys the Bulls were talking to. But, you know, there were at that point in February of 2010, all the possibilities in the world were out there for the Bulls' future. And, then, of course, they wound up with uh, Carlos Boozer and a bunch of reserves. It didn't, didn't really turn out the way everybody had hoped. But that is one of the great what-ifs in Chicago sports. If they had been able to get LeBron James and Dwayne Wade to go with Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, Lou Aldang, and Taj Gibson, boy, you, you just wonder how many titles they would have won. Yeah, I always think about this. You know, the Bulls have never really gotten um, the player that they wanted. Um, they always got the seconds or thirds or whatever. Right. I mean, Carlos Boozer was an all-star, but he wasn't on the same level as LeBron and Dwayne Wade or, or even Chris Bosh. And, you know, I always think about uh, the Canadian Mounties always got their men, but the Chicago Bulls never did. That's the way I always remember. And remember how excited Pax was about getting Ben Wallace? Thought that was the final piece to that nice team he was building, bringing in a defensive-minded center. And Ben Wallace that year was one of the most coveted free agents. So, you know, at that point, it was kudos to the Bulls for getting Ben. But he got his money and he quit playing. I mean, he was a dog the couple of years. Remember, he went back to Detroit then and played okay. But for whatever reason, I don't know if you didn't like Scott Skiles. He was mad they wouldn't let him wear his headband at the beginning of his Bulls run. 
But boy, he was a dog in a Bulls uniform. Well, you just reminded me of uh, what to talk about next week on our Walk Down Memory Lane segment, and it will uh, <laughs> But I'll save that one for next week. I looked at the calendar, and uh, you know, it obviously this season is different because the NBA is you know going through the whole COVID thing. But normally at this time of uh, the year of the calendar, we'd be going into the final stretch of of the regular season, the last twenty some odd games, thirty games, whatever it is. And so I'm going back on this one. Let's see, how many years would this be? 36 years now, Mark. It blows me away. That's that it seems it seems almost like yesterday, but it was March of 1985. And this is the year that Michael, his second year in the NBA, I believe it was, and he broke his foot and he was out for six weeks. And you know, Jerry Krause did not want him to come back, but Michael, of course, did. And Michael ultimately got his way where he talked both Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf into being able to come back to play limited minutes initially in the regular season before he ended up having that incredible 63-point game against Boston in the postseason. But where I'm going with this is the press conference to announce that he came back was at Jerry Reinsdorf's office, and, and Jerry Reinsdorf had a company called Belcor, and it was basically like a real estate company, and it was in Skokie, and we, we, we the press conference started at right around midnight, um, on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I, I don't even remember what day of the week it was, but it was to announce that Michael was coming back because he pushed them to come back. And you could just feel the tension. I mean, it was so strange to have a press conference in Jerry Reinsdorf's office up in Skokie, even stranger yet that it was at midnight and that the TV cameras and everybody was sort of crammed into his office. And I remember one of the artifacts in his office, he had this like chair and it was shaped like uh, like a catcher's mitt. And I, you know, we could sit in it and, you know, I don't know, sort of sort of screwy, you know, screw around in that office and everything. But I, that's what I remember was the press conference was at midnight. And I can't think <laughs> of, well, actually, there was another press conference that was at midnight. It's a baseball one. And that was to announce that the White Sox ended up getting the deal to stay in Chicago as opposed to going down to St. Petersburg. That was another midnight press conference. But this is one that I remember. And, and Michael did get his way. And initially, yes, he had only play eight or 10 or 12 minutes. And then finally, he and Phil Jackson. No, it wasn't Phil Jackson. Um, who was the coach at that point? Stan Albeck, I think. Yeah, Albeck or Lockery. I can't remember who it was at that point. But whoever it was, they said the hell with it. And he broke all the all the um, the minute limits that were placed on him. And like I said, he ended up scoring that 63 against Boston in that postseason. So that that's a press conference that I'll remember going forward. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Otto Porter is going to have a press conference to announce he's not playing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be like Jordan's. Jordan said in two words, "I'm back." Um, right. Porter, Porter's will be two words, "I'm finished." <laughs> <laughs> it'll be see you next year. We've got the cash. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> anyway, hopefully, whoever listens to this podcast will not think that they were suckers. And it's always fun, Mark, doing this, and we'll do this again next week. Yeah, we got the All-Star game coming up on Sunday. Uh, Zach Levine in the three-point shootout and playing in the game. So we'll we'll see how Zach fares. I think his game is one that will translate well in the no-defense All-Star game environment. So it'll be fun to see what kind of show Zach's able to put on. And, of course, he's going to be in the three-point contest yep. initially. And there's – I mean, my God, that, that field is loaded. 
And the, the slam dunk only has three players in the slam dunk contest. I guess nobody really wants to do that sucker anymore. Nobody wants to embarrass themselves. That's the big fear they have, that they'll have a bad day where they miss a bunch of dunks and they look like an idiot. Because, you know, Zion was selected to play in the game, and you'd think he'd be a natural as a second-year young guy that would want to show what he could do in the dunk contest. He said no thanks as well. So they ended up having to bring in three guys. Like, the, all the players in the three-point shootout are all-stars, uh, whereas the slam dunk guys are just young guys they're brought in with very low uh, pedigree. So, you know, hopefully they, the guys put on a good show, but I'm a little bit nervous that this thing could really fall flat. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, hopefully we will not fall flat, and I'll look right. forward to doing this next week with you. So you have yourself a good week, and uh, we'll wish everybody a good week as well. Take care of yourself, Mark. All right. Thanks, David. So long, everybody.